be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Fun for Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Feeling a little bit worse for wear this morning because I got the COVID booster shot, but uh, I'm going to soldier on through this episode. Chris has the excuse for sounding like a terrible critic this morning. <laughs> and, and we have freelance writer and critic Prat Nehru. Hello. I'm not feeling much better, but my voice hopefully comes back. That's not true because we have some very exciting films to talk about this week. Actually, I want to flag that we actually have some very exciting films to talk about next week as well. Chris and I just saw the Australian premiere of West Side Story, which we are very keen to talk about. It's a particular source material that I've been endeared to for basically all my lifetime. Yeah, it's a good film. It's a good version of West Side Story. That's the spoiler version of our uh, review, but uh, you can catch it this weekend in advanced screenings if you want to see it before you hear what we have to say. Otherwise, it's out on Boxing Day. Just also to flag, it's funny, we took a week off last week because we all just felt wretched and weren't doing that well. But uh, yeah, funny. it's funny that we take a week off and then I get the covid uh booster kick up the butt but uh yeah let's see how we go obviously i don't think chris is going to sound terrible at all i think chris is on his civic duty yes five months after from what i understand that's when Mm. i've scheduled mine in also i don't think guys you can see us but i can see glenn and he's looking radiant or maybe it's the picture quality that's looking radiant it's the sun it's the, the beautiful sun, summer sunlight again in december in my room really i'm sure it's the camera there's a different camera because you're looking you do have like, very sparkly, you know, bright pristine, clear picture quality. I don't know oh, what's- is it my beautiful snowball mic? Shout out to the team at Snowball Mics who've seen us through COVID and beautiful home equipment. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's very sweet. I'm at a bit of a high from West Side Story. I enunciate all my consonants following seeing this film. We yeah. are kings to talk about it as we are kings to talk about Matrix next week and Licorice Pizza and the worst person in the world. It's a big week, as is this one, because so many good movies coming out. Or at least there are. And this week we are talking Dune, very big, in cinemas now, one of the biggest films of the year. We are also talking a recap of Power of the Dog, which is in Netflix now, Venom, which is in cinemas now, a brief on Made in the West Film Festival, uh, film Verut entered, Wonder Dome, uh, which is screening in a sense at the moment, and The French Dispatch, which we covered during the Sydney Film Festival, but is in cinemas now. I'll just note that it's funny that I feel like Verat left out the second half of, of that sentence about how radiant Glenn looks. How do I look? I'm seeing myself and it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, Those week by week, Chris. Next week, you're going to look just like Maria and I feel pretty. Chris, you great. always look... The best scene in the radiant. film, I'm going to say. Cheers, dude. I looked I mean, radiant after West Side Story last week. Oh, God, everyone was dressed. I got to give Chris credit. Chris actually dressed up with the cocktail dress code. I did not. Um, a lot of did. did. Some did. A, a lot of people looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I also just love that it was a state theater premiere from Age of Musical, so it befitted it. But at the same time, it's West Side Story. No one in this is dressed like in a tux or cocktail dresses, actually, except for the except for the, the uh, mixer scene where everyone is dressed spectacularly. And, and I feel pretty, of course, which is... I can't wait to talk about that scene. That's next week. Let's let's talk about Dune. Dune is about sand. No, that's not true. Well, the sand is a big part of it, but maybe the sand actually also contains some spice. So Dune is about the planet Arrakis and uh, the colonial powers seeking to control it. And the Atreides family, of which our plucky, twerpy young hero, Paul, comes from. He's, of course, played by Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, so Timothy Chalamet plays him, and uh, they're sent to the planet to be its new rulers. 
They try to be less oppressive than the previous rulers, but the native population for whom spice is a valuable psychedelic spiritual compound don't trust anyone who's coming to impose their will upon them. Meanwhile, uh, spice is used to fuel space travel. So it's this strange kind of 60s blend of we're talking about the Middle East and uh, control over oil, and we're talking about very hippie mumbo jumbo things. It, this really shows its roots of the 60s and Frank Herbert being a journalist covering the Middle East who ate lots of mushrooms and made a habit of it. But anyway, June that becomes about Paul's quest uh, after his family is betrayed and the mystical connection he seems to have with the native people of the planet. We also have to note that there is a ridiculous cast in the Shamal MLA, Rebecca Ferguson. Stop saying that. It's bad <laughs> enough with mean. M. Nights. <laughs> it's okay to be racist to French people, I guess, now that Indian people are up I'm joking. Oh I don't think it's really racist, but we can say his name. Of all the times I've advocated for France in the show, I bloody love France. <laughs> I love I France. the French festival this weekend. I know I shouldn't be bringing out excuses, but no, I love Chamolet. He's cool. Great in this. And it's, the French Dispatch. And these are the French Dispatch, which I'm mostly keen to talk about. Vive la France, one of the more underrated countries of Europe. So, uh, France. So, France. No, we're not talking about France. We're talking about Timothy Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar sorry, Isaac. We're talking about Sam? No, uh, sorry, hang on. We're talking about June. We're talking about the actors in it. Dave Batista's <laughs> in it. Jason Momoa's in it. Zendaya's in it. Josh Brolin's in it. I think that's the main cast. Hey, okay. J.B. Bardem has a small role, but it seems like he's going to have a bigger role in the sequel because what the marketing's not telling you is that this is June part one. As it Which says is fine. Well, Take if, the time if people, to tell a story. If people read the book, then they would know. So read the books, guys. Read the source material before you come out. And no, no, it's all right. But you no, wouldn't uh, know that you wouldn't know going in that this isn't yeah. covering the whole book, like the previous. That's, that, that's serialized storytelling. That's totally cool. I'm happy to take a few hours to several hours to adapt a whole book. I am you know. too. Um, but just to, to note on that, this was meant to be filmed back to back. The studio got cold feet after Villeneuve's previous film. It's from director Denis Villeneuve. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 underperformed, so you're going to have to wait two years for part two. This film performed well enough for them to greenlight that. But that's maybe the biggest sticking point before we focus on bigger things about the movie. I've seen lots of people complain about how this just kind of trails off. I think as long as you go in knowing it's part one, it's fine. But it's not a fully satisfying arc. It ends at a reasonably satisfying point, but it's very much to be continued. The final line along those lines is a bit on the nose. But uh, just go in knowing that and you'll be okay. Now, a lot of people are talking about this film in terms of its adaptive qualities, because there are a lot of serious Dune fans out there, both the book and the original film. I, well, I have some familiarity with this is my first very real introduction to the Dune universe. So before we get into the quality of technical, of the technical craft, I just like to talk about the story because that's what hit me first. I really enjoy that this is a grand epic about, yes, as Chris referred to, betrayal, but a sense of seeking to belong, both um, on behalf of the indigenous population of the planet, but also this family who clearly are, in, in respects, m relatively minor players with regards to um, the world that the emperor inhabits, where people jockey for control of entire planets and looking for realms, looking for importance. And also uh, Chalamet's character, Paul, clearly has a great weight of expectation in terms of the legacy that the Oscar Isaac character his father brings. So uh, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of very universalistic elements and I enjoyed that. But beyond that, um, the quality of the cinematography and 
and the way sand, yes, is used in this, um, some of the desert sequences, some of the storm sequences, some of the battle sequences, the worms, of course, it's beautiful. Villeneuve is a master, as we've seen in Blade Runner 2049 and others. I think there's more um, diversity of uh, visual storytelling in Blade Runner because there's more environments, and here it's relatively static because it is just about stand, sand, but what he achieved in that milieu was very great. I love this, and I'd recommend seeing it on as big a screen as possible if I did. It was well worth it. Yeah, um, it might be too late now that Spider-Man is storming into theaters, but if you can see this on the biggest screens, you can do it. I, a lot of people have commented that this film maybe isn't the most emotionally resonant one out there. I can agree with that, but I don't think it is a huge hindrance to the film because it's a different kind of approach. It's a more landscape-driven, epic spectacle-driven approach. And I, it was still enough that I was to, you know, emotionally involved enough to go with it. It's involving in the story just in how impressive the sheer scale of it was. The costume design, the, the set design, etc., and the way that the scope of this and the contrasts between the different planets that we see, for me, were enough to keep me captivated. I, I can see the point, though. I mean, uh, this, this is an emotional story at its core. If we look mm -hmm. at the heart of the film, it is very much, you know, someone trying to seek revenge for the betrayal and basically seek redemption through it, essentially. And the problem with the film is that never quite lands, or at least we never quite get to a resolution of that in this first film. I know in the eventual arc with the two films set up in the next film, we'll get to that. But I think if someone didn't know that, that this film isn't resolving that core issue going in, this film can leave them a bit cold. And I think... Unless you were really taken in, and I was taken in by the world building, and I think this has some very detailed world building from that point of view, that was quite beautiful. But emotionally, I did feel that the film was seeking a center, which it was lacking. Right. I appreciated the world building in this. I disagree with Farat on the matter of um, lacking a completionist element. I think it's a matter of um, audience expectation versus um, the quality of the filmmaker. I think the filmmaker is trusting the audience in a sense that or they, filmmakers trust and novelists trusted audiences more than 20 years ago. Um, 20 years ago, there was great expectation there where you'd have serialized storytelling, um, Fellowship of the Ring style, and you tell an installment and then you continue on in a later time. Villeneuve, to his great credit in my view, has trust that we don't just have to have anthology approaches to film as we see with Marvel and other types of stories. You can have a moment here, yep, and we will pick up later. There's classical storytelling. The Strand used to do 150 50 years ago, which I loved. And I appreciated his taking that approach. I hope more filmmakers do. And I hope it sets a trend. So I, I'm glad that he, I think he did a good thing in terms of integrity of storytelling in trusting the audience. To compare it to Fellowship of the Ring, though, of course, Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings as three separate books in uh, three volumes of a larger story, whereas this is only adapting a bit over half of the first book of Dune. And The Fellowship of the Ring ended on a beautiful, emotionally resonant note, whereas this sort of trails off. I'm okay with that. As we I think said. it's still a neat cutoff in terms of the it, narrative. It is a fairly neat point for it to be continued. I didn't come away feeling cheated, as I'm sure people who don't didn't know it's part one might. But I think there still is something to the idea that the film could be more emotionally resonant, that maybe Villeneuve has chosen to focus more on the world building elements than or had his focus on that has to some extent drowned out a focus on what is motivating Paul. I'm sure we'll see a payoff later on. I still think the film could have gotten me more involved in his quest for revenge, 
but I still was blown away by what this film does well. Let's actually take stock of what he's achieved. This yeah. was, as a film, for a long time, seen to be, as a book, the unadaptable. most unadaptable, basically. Mm. We have had several failed versions of this being wanting to translate into the screen, yeah. but didn't work out. And now we finally get one complete version. Oh, that oh, sense, <laughs> yeah, at least <laughs> half of the complete. It feels version. more like a complete version yeah. of June than the previous adaptations, though. Definitely. This, this feels more complete. And from that point of view, I feel like this is an achievement just because we have got here. I'm not saying this is going to be the perfect Dune or this is going to be everyone's Dune. This is one but, version of Dune that actually exists. We keep saying I think it can be improved upon in the next 20 years yeah. by some other director if they want to take it into a different direction. Can we talk about how awesome the world building is, though? I, I agree. That's that's what it is. I mean, like, yes, the emotional punch lacks a punch, but I do I do think if the idea was we're going to show such a completely different world, the detailing of that world was so precise that I was actually impressed. I'm not impressed by big scale blockbusters that much anymore, and this was one of the films that actually did that for me. Right. So, the set design in this is absolutely gorgeous. I think that goes a huge way towards it. A lot of, as has been noted, a lot of the other uh, stylings, including costumes, are relatively pared back. I think it's meant to show the um, integration of elements, the environment into the natural environment. So I understand that it's practical in that sense. But um, the way that they utilize uh, technical craft to show air, air travel, um, space travel, some of the ships, a dragonfly ship, it's absolutely gorgeous. I was going to comment on that. It's like it's the best spaceship design since the X Wing. I'm going to call it now the dragonfly ship. It's so cool. So damn cool. Also, the um the harvesters, the scale of the harvesters of spice against the worms in the desert really is awe-inspiring. This film has such interesting designs that it breathes life into CGI at a point where I think we're all fatigued of being CGI-driven blockbusters. I agree completely. Because this is an example. CGI is used as a stopgap often when you don't need it. Uh, we talked about it so much on the show. This is an example of where... CGI is very reasonable to be used because of the scale and nature and science fiction genre, and it is used well and it's used appropriately. Otherwise, in sequences, and I love this, where there it's more practically driven action, i.e. fights, it's an actual fight that takes place between characters. Wonderful. Speaking of the fight sequences and else, um, the actors are, are very good. Momoa is good. Oscar Isaac is too well cast. Brolin, Bardem, obviously. Chalamet is always great. I think moderately still my favorite performance from him is as in The King, though I did like him in The French Dispatch, which we'll talk about later. I think we have to, though I have to note, um, there is one performance in Zendaya who just isn't on the level of the other performers. It's not that she's a bad actress. It's just that it's very noticeable that she is not as not deliver as emphatic a performance as those around her. Chalamet is obviously incredibly talented. We'll see great work through for decades. All the others are very established performers. Zendaya, she has a charm. I think she lends a particular eerie quality to this film, which leans into the story it's trying to tell, which I think is great. So I understand that she was cast that way. She's a visual and a, and a sense of presence, but as a pure yeah. performer, as we've seen in other roles, she's just not as great and noticeably so in comparison to the cohort she's with. Yeah, hard to argue with that. It's easy to compare this film to Star Wars and the original Star Wars when we were talking about the, the practical sets and the practical action. It does remind me of that because it feels like the biggest kind of effort at creating another world since those days. But I appreciated that this film is constantly going for an air 
of grandeur. It's going for an almost like David Lean type sense of scale. That's a pretty fair comparison, actually. Yeah, very and, much. And uh, I think the cast do very well at bringing an appropriate sense of gravitas to it. Oscar Isaac is so good in this role. Oh, he's great. Yes. They're all great. Uh, I thought this was a better performance than The Card Counter from Oscar Isaac. I know very different films, but I thought he gave a much more affecting performance in this film, given that this was a very different style of film. I'm not saying I'm selling the actor short, but I didn't go into June expecting amazing performances. I was going in for world building. I was going in for spectacle. So that really did surprise me. This was a more impactful performance. I liked Rebecca Ferguson in this. I liked pretty much all the actors. It's a great movie that is Dune. It is worth seeing it. Go see it now before everything we're discussing next week takes over the entire cinema run. Yeah. We're recording the spiderwebs. You're listening to Film Fight Club on 2CL with Glenn Falcon, Stein, Chris Evans, and Parat Nehru. The next thing we're talking about is Power of the Dog. It is the new Jane Campion film, which is screening on Netflix. It is starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plenums, Cody Smith and Fee. It is set in the mid-20s in Montana in a ranch run by brothers played by Cumberbatch and Plenums. It is a film about masculinity and it's a film that plays into biblical archetypes. I Now, we, Karan and I covered this during the City Film Festival. However, Chris has since seen it. I have. You know, there was so much hype and so much overwhelming praise for this that I was a little bit disappointed. I liked the film a lot. I liked it. Um, but uh, this film has such a methodical, slow build. And that it's an interestingly structured film because the first half of it has this huge air of foreboding, which gives way to a bit more of a general sense of mystery, though that darkness is still there. But it's such a subtle film with so much buildup. And uh, anyone who knows my taste knows that I'm very much for slow and subtle films. But in this particular film, I was waiting for a bigger payoff. If that makes me a Philistine, then so be it. But I almost felt like with so much slow build, there needed to be a greater catharsis for this, the ending of this to land. Because the ending is so, again, subtle and mysterious. The, the meaning of it comes through, but I wanted a bit more. Okay. I, for reasons discussed in the previous podcast, I didn't like the ending. I feel it lent too practically, the narrative lent too practically and heavily into the symbolism to tell the story and to convey those biblical archetypes. Whereas in other instances, like in the use of dirt, like in the Eden-esque iconography, it was much more seamlessly integrated. It was much more natural in terms of a traditional narrative. And it's something you could get incidentally and something that was conveyed well. Here, um, they're going for a, no, you have to get this moment as we saw in the more um, direct and I think lesser moments of a film like Mother. I compare it to something like East of Eden, where uh, again, there are wonderful, it's telling a, a story of a similar part of the Bible where there are wonderful moments where, uh, again, that's, that's a perfect example of where iconography is used practically to tell a story. Here, it's used in varying instances. I have a, so I have a problem with the ending. However, I have a problem with putting a lot of the impact of the film down to the ending. I don't think this is a film, unlike a lot of others, that rests its power in the ending or lives and dies at its ending. I think the ending was an attraction, but I liked the first two acts, even a lot of the third act so much. Uh, the first part of the third act, I should say, that it didn't yeah, bother me too. that much when That's the ending the kind of tailored off. Yeah, that, that beginning of the, the third act is the point where I was probably uh, most involved in the film after, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe so much in the three acts, but it, I guess we'll call it around the beginning of the this second the three act. three-act structure, absolutely. Sure, but um, the, uh, 
I mean, I mean, more more than uh, more than this, the kind of foreboding mystery, which I know that's intended in how the film was set up. I saw it more as a character study, and I it think is, it, yeah. is, it is definitely a character study of hundred percent uh, and especially Benedict Cumberbatch's character, which I think is the most complex role he's played to date. His performance. He's, best performance. He, best he's performance amazing. To, to really discuss what this film is about um, means going into spoilers, because it's not at all clear until quite, though it's impl implied, it's not at all clear until quite far into the film. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this film is broken up into like five or six chapters, I think. Uh, you know, I feel like some which which kind of was probably the probably the thing that was yeah the most arbitrary for me because I didn't think mm, that it wasn't necessary. Yeah, mm. no. We're gonna, all we're the performances gonna... are excellent. All performances are excellent. I wish Thomas and Mackenzie had been in it more. She has a very small role. I think she's just there because she's a Kiwi, and uh, Jane Campion says, "Would you want to be in, in my movie?" Yes, <laughs> exactly. Role I, mean, I think she's been there on set. This Campion was from New Zealand. Gotcha. Yeah. Campion yeah. has that stature, you know, it's like, do you want to be in a in my movie? And like, ah, I'll do anything, it's fine. I'll be a Starship yeah. Trooper, Stormship Trooper, sorry. Starship. Exactly, especially <laughs> there in, in her native land where they were filming. Yeah. 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 So that is Power of the Dog. I think it's worth seeing. Oh, absolutely. I, Don't get me wrong. It's a very good film. I just uh, had heard overwhelming, massive acclaim. And it, I think that that kind of expectation is never great to bring with you into a film. The next film we are talking about is Venom. What, 87 minutes? Is that right? Yeah, it's a, it's short. I caught this- so Venom, let that be carnage, let us be clear. That's it. I caught this a couple of weeks back. You know, some people really love this movie. I didn't really love it, but I had some fun. There's an appealing goofiness to it. There's something different about this film's silliness to the MCU silliness, where it never really feels like they're trying to undercut what otherwise comes across as a serious geeky drama. Instead, it feels like just a genuinely goofy film about the weird friendship between a man and his monster. There's some funny stuff. Um, the, the main plot isn't that involving and feels like going through the motions. It's really just there for watching Tom Hardy be Tom Hardy at his most amusing and with his weirdest voices. From what I've heard from other people, I think the USB of this film is essentially that here's a film that doesn't take itself too seriously. And yeah. from a lot of films that are wanting to take it seriously, this film comes with a breath of fresh air that's, that's genuinely it. goofy and it actually is not trying to be serious. That's it. And I think people are also drawn to the kind of light queer coding of it. It's not that queer coded. The characters are all heterosexual, but you can uh, have some fun with, with pretending otherwise with the, the way- Is it queer baiting like, though? written and performed. At some is point. it queer baiting in some sense? Is, uh, you could say that. That's that's okay. the less charitable interpretation of it. Okay. But um, I had fun, but I, I can't give it a strong recommendation. I was uh, pretty damn bored when, like all these movies, it turned into an interminable CGI duke it out in the last like 10, 15 minutes. But, you know, it, it was like 10, 15 minutes of dumb CGI things flying around instead of like half an hour. So on that note, I guess it's a recommendation. 90 minutes why not you know let's have more films like that and it, there's actually something really refreshing about how this film is just foot down on the accelerator go 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 through this plot with you know with, because it's acknowledging that this isn't too serious um i don't think andy circus is quite a good enough director to land the kind of weird zippy tone that this movie is going for but still as we were saying at least it's something different in the superhero genre 
we're going to be talking about a film next week, Licorice Peach, so which uh, one of the criticisms is that it goes much longer than it should. I think a, film, a lot of films are justified being longer than 100 minutes, in my view. I appreciate when it just gets in and gets out and tells a story. That is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I think it's still, you might still be able playing, to yeah. it, still playing. Yep. For the moment, everything's going to uh, explode on Boxing Day. So see you, what you these films are. Well, Venom and Spider-Man at the same yeah. time. So. If you're hearing this and saying, yes, please, Venom, Tom Hardy, yeah, go catch it now. You won't get much more of a chance. Um, something else that's screening right now around Sydney, in a sense, is Wonder Dome. Yeah, so I got to go to the media preview for this. So uh, I'm going to check out a full session of it, which I guess is my recommendation. Uh, I only got to see snippets of a bunch of films. This is basically a 360-degree uh, dome cinema. You sit back on, on beanbags, and the whole thing surrounds your vision. A bit of an IMAX vibe, and a bit of an IMAX vibe to a lot of the programming, where it's like, join me, I'm Liam Neeson. Look at the, the prehistoric wonders of the deep, and things like that. Um, I'm not a fan of the IMAX-type films we were shown. They, uh, you know, looked... I think I would rather watch those sorts of things on a, on a real IMAX screen. Um, maybe, maybe it's better watching the whole thing, but I think that stuff is, is there to sell this to kids at school holidays. I'm sure kids would have a great time. The stuff that's more angled towards adult had a very trippy vibe. Um, it's a week for trippy things. This, uh, I was told, has been used previously before and been a big hit at Burning Man, and that makes total sense. And that stuff that we saw the previews of was really cool. There was this um, work by a psychedelic artist called Android Jones, where rather than um, you know editing like a documentary, it's just a camera floating in space showing you um, views of weird you know cgi imagery and that i think used the space well because rather than fast cutting it's just fully immersive in strange visuals um i think a certain type of audience member would really appreciate this the other thing i got to see that looked cool was again like quite trippy this liquid art type thing which was like a 3d gallery flying through these kind of like morphing digital artworks and animation very cool um, this has a few kind of technical issues with it. It's made of multiple projectors um, mixed together. And I think at the edge points, there's a bit of blurriness, but it's not a huge problem because most of the image looks good. This, uh, there's also a film that we didn't get to see a preview that I'd be interested to see there, which is a Bangara dance um, performance. And I, I think that, you know, the idea of a full immersion in that is pretty cool. Was it immersive? I would say yes. So it succeeds at, at what it's setting out to do. Um, it's advertised as the future of cinema. I'm not sure about that because it's still very much at this kind of gimmicky phase, I think, where something like IMAX is. I think it's difficult to wrap the conceptual and the commercial properties of something like this. But I do appreciate things like video art or this kind of um, screen where we're looking to move film outside of the um, two hours sitting in front of a flat box. And I think this is a pretty... Um, convincing case that there's some interesting potential in this. I actually spoke to the uh, founders of uh, Wonder Dome and I have a little bit of interview with them as well. Anyway, that's, uh, that's Wonder Dome. It's showing now at the Entertainment Quarter. Uh, visit the website because there's a full list of the movies playing. Um, there's a lot playing every day. So plan out your session according to what sounds interesting to you. The more adult stuff's in the evenings, that's when I'd go. And the next thing we're going to talk about is the Made in the West Film Festival, which screened last weekend in in Liverpool, excuse me. 
it is screening online now. Um, a lot of a lot of Western Sydney filmmakers put in films um, filmed in and around Western Sydney with Western Sydney crews, and Rut uh, was one of the entrants. Yes, I'm so glad. Look, it's the very first film I wrote. Uh, it's uh, we shot it all during the lockdown. Basically, we didn't know if this was ever going to make it. The fact that we even completed the film in time for Made in the West was a miracle of sorts. But, you know, very first experience of working together, putting something out there as a creative. It's nice to not just call myself a film critic, but also a creative myself now, nice. jumping sides. And uh, yeah, it was just a fun experience. Uh, and I guess some of you guys caught the film. So rather than me talking about the film, I'd like to see what you guys thought of it. I liked Enjoyed it. it. I, you know, I, I also caught a play that Virat did, which I know he spent a lot more time on the script, and I liked that more. I think this guy's a really talented writer who is, you know, one to watch. But the film held my attention. Uh, the production was very good for what it is. Like, it actually seemed like it was set in a busy environment, which a lot of films made on an indie, no budget, try to, but don't succeed at. It was well-written enough that the tones and the drama held my attention. It was good. I liked it. I liked the performers and I liked the use of language that uh, multiple languages use interchangeably. I liked that it dealt with a topical issue um, relevant to now. So I enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing more from Virat. We will give more reviews as you are in Film Fight Club and fight about Virat's movies going into the future. It's already on Facebook. So we've released it already because we thought, you know, why not give the people what they want? If they like it, just release it. It's called Let's Start Over. It's on a Facebook page. Let's start over film if you can find it and then watch it there. In brief, did you enjoy the Made in the West Film Festival otherwise? Yes, I mean, it was just good to see so much creative talent coming out and all being in one place. So we, it was nice on the full event cinemas. Everyone was there. We were all trying to, you know, create an atmosphere and a community of filmmakers. And it was just nice to see that all of us are doing such amazing work. So congratulations to everyone who was there. Everyone's film was great. It was just to see good quality work on the big screen. So congrats to all the winners, everyone who participated. And yeah, more films next year, hopefully. Cool. You can catch Made in the West online. Well done, Brett. Well done to the crew at Made in the West. Stay tuned for the French Dispatch. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking The French Dispatch. It is in cinemas now. We caught the premiere at the Sydney Film Festival closing night and talked about it then. However, Chris and Virat have made the expeditious decision to see this film again. To recap, it is a Wes Anderson film starring everyone, including Timothy Chalamet, Shesha Ronan, Benicio Del Toro, Leia Sadu, Matthew Mulrick, Christoph Waltz, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Francis McDormand. There are Adrian more people. Brody. Adrian Brody's in it. Uh, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people. We've dealt with like maybe half the cast. And yeah. it is an anthology film set around a New Yorker-esque magazine called The French Dispatch. Yeah. You know what looks funny? Uh, the New Yorker uh, announced the French Dispatch was the best film of the year. And it was like, where did you get the award the self-indulgent. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, like it's good, but it's not. I've seen West Side Story, it's not. Adrian, Adrian Brody. Richard Brody really loved the film, though. 
So, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it is just one of those coincidences, but surely someone must have thought, is this appropriate? Richard Brody <laughs> thinks Revenge ourselves. of the Sith is better than um, Star Wars. So let's, uh, let, let's take it. No, I, I don't say, it. I love Richard Brody. He's an, what an incredible critic. I like Richard Brody too, but it's very much like, you know what's important right now? The New Yorker. <laughs> I'd like to thank me, me. 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, I dug this film. I was a bit unsober the first time around, so I watched it again, hoping to be able to follow more of the plot bits that I missed. And you know, to clarify, it was the closing night of the Sydney Film Festival. We exactly. had seen a lot of movies. We were out of it. We, we, were, long it. we were out of it. I think I covered it. No, but seriously, <laughs> they give you so much free alcohol. We partied a bit, but uh, <laughs> it it was fun. Seeing it again, though. I liked it a little bit less, but not that much. But funnily enough, the bits that I was missing the first time around, I wasn't always able to catch this time around. This is such a densely packed film. So fast paced in the visual puns and in the uh, breathless kind of narration that drives a lot of the stories, which in Wes Anderson's style, uh, you know, is very full of specific details, the very clever kind of dialogue. I think this is a movie that will take many viewings to fully unpack. It is so fast paced. I remember Chris, uh, last time we were talking about it, you mentioned this was a very bleak film. Mm. And this was actually a very sad film in terms of how it's, its outlook towards art and creation and artists. Yeah. And I remember when I saw it with a friend again, we ended up talking about the future of art and you know, especially print and that kind of magazine style editorial mm. style writing. Because we haven't... Means. Yeah, we haven't mentioned the framing device of this film is that it's the final issue of the magazine and the stories that would have made it up after the editor dies and requests that the magazine not be continued at all upon his death. So there is this kind of sad framing device similar to the one in the Grand Budapest Hotel of looking back on this history, like the opening of the Grand Budapest Hotel with the, the statue of the author and then the author framing device. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in, in some ways, it's talking about how magazines are dead, or at least that long-form writing, uh, which we used to love in, in kind of print, and you kind of open the page and you smell the page, mm. that seems to have dead. And I know I remember my friend something said, said something, a throwaway line, which felt more profound on recollection. She said, this is literally an obituary of art right. and artists. Well, and I thought that was actually on point. At the very least, if not quite that far, though, I think she's she's definitely onto something. It's an obituary to this 20th century idea of indulging writers. You know, this idea that like the, the art speaks loudest, maybe not to the cartoonish extent seen in this film, but a lot of writers and correspondents got away with a lot in terms of uh, the time it took them to put together stories and the, the expense and such, if it was justified by good output in the 20th century. And this exactly. film pays tribute they, to they, that. They were allowed of... to be unethical. They were allowed to insert themselves in the story. Right. They were yeah. allowed a lot more quirks. They're their kind of personality traits. They were yeah. allowed to be, you know, bear expenses on onto the magazine editorial accountants. Yeah. And, you know, they had to bear expenses just to recollect memories and, and have a yeah. that they wanted to while they were getting the story out. And the film is celebratory of that. And uh, yeah. it's about really in-depth writing. But It is. I thought on a rewatch, the second story was something that didn't hold my attention as well. I think the first and the third really stood out upon the rewatch. The second like one the second story with Louis Chalamet was something that actually felt the weakest to me. So if you did like it more, I would be interested to hear uh, about, about it. Some people have taken offense at the at taking inspiration from some of the real events of May 1968 and police violence. Yeah, and presenting. Not really. 
I, I yeah. thought it, from a tonal perspective, that was the more, the most cutesy uh, segment, which yeah, felt jarring with the rest of the film, which was very melancholic and a bit, you know, uh, sad, I would say. Though the second story is quite in its way sad and uh, ultimately presents the same kind of detachment of all things will pass that the rest of the film presents. I remember the first time around you said this is almost too Wes Anderson. I think like there's moments where the movie threatens to tip into being too twee, too arch, too precious, but I think it just balances on that cliff and manages not to fall down. There's other points where his arch cleverness is just absolutely hilarious and nails it completely. For the most part, I, f I felt the film was really a success. Again, this is a movie that's most, like June that we spoke about earlier has been criticized for not being so emotionally resonant, but I feel like there were moments, enough moments and uh, the undertext of it that you were talking about earlier, Virat, of the sadness of the passing of this era of art was enough that it, it did resonate for me. It's just not that it as like in-depth a character a story and a sentimental kind of story as some of Anderson's other films. It's up against the weight of those expectations. Yeah, but also at the same time, I feel like this film is trying to achieve something very different. What Anderson is saying from this kind of manifesto is manifesto. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> film essentially is that uh, uh, basically there's never been a worse time to create art. So there's never been a better time to create art because people are going to not like your art anyway. So might as well make the most your type of story that you can. And he's come up with the most Wes Anderson movie ever. Which, you, you know, appreciate can that. alienate a lot of other people. This is really his coda. He's thrown all his tidbits, all his stylistic approaches into this. I think it's a good film. I think it's average Anderson. I think people who consider themselves modern hardcore fans will enjoy it more than people who are casual fans, folks who saw Royal Tenenbaums or Moonrise Kingdom back in the day. I was chatting to some friends yesterday at the work picnic and they made the point that they thought the third installment was actually the best. I disagree, but I appreciate that unlike a lot of anthologies, and I use Buster Scruggs here as an example of doing this well, they didn't end on the week. I think it is the weak story, but it didn't shepherd a weak story into the end. They shot, they told three individual decent stories, which I do think decline quality, which I think is overly pejorative in the sense that they are all good. Mm -hmm. I liked that there was a coherency among the installments um, by the premise of the magazine itself. It felt like you were flipping through um, only a version of New Yorker or something extremely akin to it. And I think a lot of anthologies don't take the integrity to tie their stories together as well. And this did. So yeah, I, I, th I think the biggest achievement of this film is the fact it's formalistic achievement, which is that it's stunning visually. It's stunning visually, oh, but also a chess scene, my God, a, a scene involving a number of people running in the first episode. When Ennui breaks in the morning and how people just come together and burst onto the scene, into the mm -hmm. frame. Oh yeah. my God. Beautiful. No, there's, there's so many moments. This is what separates Wes Anderson from his imitators. A lot of his style can easily just become a shtick that you just fall back on. But Wes Anderson is challenging himself to wow you. And he keeps wowing you. There are moments in this movie that are just so visually breathtaking that uh, just pop out of the, because it's, it often switches from black and white to color. And a lot of those moments- There is one choice <laughs> from switching from black and white to color, which was so precise. It mm. is only for one second and it was, had an impact. And when we switch back to black and white, yeah. it was perfect. What you you remember with Anderson, you, you'll know it when you see it. There are so many imitators. There are so many people. I talked about a Latvian film earlier in the year where people 
directors come in and think I'm going to do a Wes Anderson story to make it irreverent, to make it fun. No one does it as well. And I appreciate that he comes along every now and then to set the standard and the tone and what can be expected of your style. More than that, it protects it by developing and enhancing his style. I think it's going to be even more difficult for a lot of directors to try and reform this just because it's so, as Chris said, so goddamn creative and good. Yeah, he uh, he has a style that's all his own, and what people have been telling him for a while, it's time to change it up. It's time for Wes Anderson ah, to you have your thing. It's good. That's it. Yeah, to do something new. Yeah. It's getting boring. But here, he sticks so closely to his style and finds ways to open it up to new ideas instead of. I agree. I mean, it. people who say that he's not trying something new, he's pushed the envelope quite a bit yeah. in terms of visual storytelling in this film a yeah. lot from how it changes to animation, to back to live action, from color to, to black and white, and to from frozen. aspect ratios as well, uh, and blocking in, in yeah. terms of how characters burst onto the scene, leave the scene. Some yeah. very Edgar Wright inspirations as well. The, the, front of here. the yeah. frozen frames as well. This film has yeah. quite a lot of uh, people held suspended in space, uh, which is new to Wes Anderson as far as I recall, and done very, very well. A lot of action presented in static ways. In yep. the third story, there's a part where people enter the frame from every angle. Yes. It's just yeah. incredible to, to watch. And look, I think the biggest triumph of this film, it is so hard to do, and I thought this was impossible to do. You know, when we read a story, everyone has a visual cue in their own head. Mm. I know I have a visual projector in my head. As I'm reading something, there is a visual image forming in my head. And those images are all, all, often not coherent. They're all forming as I'm seeing things they're forming as I'm reading things. This film is able to actually capture that as much as possible without it being a caricature. I mean, the fact that as you're reading a story, the images that would pop in your head are kind of the images popping on screen in a creative way. So it kind of really does feel that you're reading a magazine. Well, it's very literary. It's very wordy and there's a huge amount of voiceover. Yes, it's a very script-heavy film. It's a a dialogue-heavy film, sorry. It is, yeah. Like I said, it's packed with script details, packed with visual details. I think outside of the visual achievement, what's most amazing about this film is we've spoken about the underlying sadness of it and what it's saying, but it's such a a fun, zippy kind of feeling. It feels like it's light entertainment, but I think it manages to, as we discussed earlier, deliver a more somber reflection. And I think there's more depth going on in this film than some people are giving it credit for. Oh yeah, it's, it, it's very much so. Especially Jeffrey Wright's uh, ballpin voice does help when, when he's done that in the third. A great, great impression and a great performance. Yeah, very good. There's a melancholia in this film that doesn't fall back on nostalgia or being overwrought, Yeah, which is very hard to do. That is, the French Dispatch, it is in cinemas now. We'll be back next week talking everything, West Side Story, Matrix Resurrections. If you want us to talk about Spider-Man, tell us. Otherwise, maybe, I don't know, the worst person in the world these guys have seen. I'm saving it for a Boxing Day watch. And Ligurish Pizza, the new PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, lots of good movies coming up. We may even have to spread some of those ones over the next few episodes if we've got time. But we'll yeah, see. I, the I, year I, is uh, is racing to a, to a finish, isn't it? I think we should talk about West Side Story next week. It's such a Boxing Day movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's so very keen to get into that in some detail. So yeah, uh, movies, let us know what to talk Which about. cinema and is out there? Go see yeah, it. Actually, actually yeah. don't tell us what to talk about right now because there's so much to talk about right that's now. It, we have that's a lot, right. We have Often we're making this show and there's nothing to talk about that's actually interesting and holding our attention. And suddenly there's like a... a 
Yeah, Ennui burst onto the scene. Ennui cinema has burst onto the scene. Holy shit, it looks mm. so great. Mm. We're seeing it early next week, so we we, we haven't. Uh, seen it yet but it looks amazing the matrix resurrections i think a lot of people will be disappointed by it from what i've heard um i think people are going to have to set expectations correctly i think it's going to be a weird weird goofy movie well are people setting expectations based on like i liked the other two matrix films but are people setting expectations based on revolutions or the first matrix film i think people are setting expectations based on the first matrix film and i think this is going to be a much stranger beast than that look i'm, I'm happy with alienating cinema uh, right now i'd rather that than things playing it safe me so, too i agree yeah. i'm excited to see it i'm so so keen and i'm keen to talk west side story and probably see west side story again this has been glenn falkenstein chris evans and rat neru we'll be dancing into next week have a happy holidays don't be a jet be a shark they're much better good night bye bye